Hi, I'm Billy Shore. Welcome to Add Passion and Stir. It's the podcast from Share Our Strength. We share the inspirational stories of individuals who set their sights on a problem and use their strengths to create solutions. We'll be right back after this. Today, I am joined by one of my colleagues at Share Our Strength, our Associate Director for Government Relations, Bernadette Downey. Bernadette, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much, Billy. Happy to be here. And you and I are lucky today because we are going to be talking to the First Lady of Hawaii, Don Amano Ige. Um, First Lady, thank you so much for taking the time. We were just chatting about how everybody wants to be where you are. Um, and so tell us uh, what's going on in Hawaii today. Thank you, Billy, and it's great to hear from you, Bernadette. Uh, it is just a pleasure to be joining both of you on this podcast. And here in Hawaii, we have a beautiful day, bright, sunny, blue skies, and I wish you all could be here with me doing the podcast. Well, I've been to Hawaii a number of times, and there's never been a day for me that wasn't like that, so I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty jealous, as most people are. Uh, you, you're great to come on, and the reason that we were so eager to talk to you, First Lady, is because you've been such an effective and powerful champion of our childhood hunger work, uh, and it's work that you know uh, intimately having been vice principal at an elementary school in Hawaii, uh, having been uh, critical in the formation of the Jumpstart Breakfast Initiative. Um, I know you became first lady in 2014 when your husband, David, was sworn in as governor of Hawaii. And uh, you get so many, so many uh, issues that come to you that are important to the, uh, the, the folks in your state who you represent, yet you've managed to make uh, childhood hunger uh, a, a priority. And uh, I want to both thank you for that and take advantage of this opportunity to just hear from you a little bit about what does childhood hunger in Hawaii look like? What are the issues? What are what are the causes of it? What do you what do you see in, in the faces of the, of the kids that, that you aspire to help? You know, um, childhood hunger means a lot to me because as a teacher and an educator, we all know that if a child is hungry in the classroom, it makes learning so much more difficult and focusing, concentrating, and even the emotional aspect of being in a classroom becomes far more challenging than a child who has food security. So it became apparent to me that as First Lady, I could do something about this and make a contribution in reducing uh, childhood hunger. You know, right here in Hawaii, we have one out of six people at risk for food insecurity, and that makes one in four children at risk for food insecurity. And that's, that's an incredibly large number. That's about 81,000 children, or keiki, as we call them in Hawaii. Um, and for all those children to be affected or at risk for hunger, it's something that we all really need to do something about. And so we've, you know, we've convened, we've talked about it, we've implemented different types of programs to help really address this problem. And have you have you actually seen it in that classroom? Uh, I mean, what does it? What, what are some of the issues that? kids present with uh, if they're not getting sufficient food. And and say again, what do you call them in Hawaii? Kike? Keiki. That's the Hawaiian word for children. And we often refer to them as keiki. It's an endearing term that we have for children. In the classroom, you know, I when you look at a classroom, you don't look at the children in terms of what they have or what they don't have. They all come in with so much potential. 
Um, but you do see um, certain behaviors like the lack of focusing or um, they're not in the best mood and you wonder why or you look at kind of the root cause of some of those problems. And it's oftentimes, you know, something that might have gone on at home or if they are hungry, for example, or other issues that may cause that. So you kind of really have to understand children, where they come from, what their needs are, in order to help them be successful in the classroom. You know, as vice principal, uh, coincidentally, one of the areas that I oversaw in both the elementary school and high school I served in was the cafeteria. And on the upside of, um, of the school situation, the cafeteria often becomes the heart of the school because that's where a child can receive a warm meal. That's when they know that they can get breakfast, they can get lunch, it's there on time, and um, it just, you know, they can find their favorite meals there. So you have, <clears throat> while you have children who are in need, you have really an opportunity to help provide for some of that need through the school cafeteria and through the school system. So the, so the school cafeteria becomes a place where kids feel welcome and safe and they're going to be nourished. They know that that's a place that they can that they can count on. It's it's reliable for them. Yes, that's correct. You know, and and it's also a place where kids socialize. They get to know each other. They see their friends there. So you have a combination of food, friends, and then you have then you that results in security. So, you know, I really worked with the Department of Education school system to help address some of the food insecurity issues. Well, before I uh, turn to my colleague Bernadette and we talk a little bit about your work increasing school breakfast participation and efforts like that, the one other thing I wanted to ask you about was, uh, you know, in most of the places we work, we see hunger as a symptom of a set of deeper issues having to do with uh, poverty and uh, structural economic uh, issues in terms of why families don't have the resources to support themselves. And I'm, I'm assuming that's uh, similar in Hawaii. Uh, but when you think of the of kind of like the, the root causes or the upstream reasons of why uh, kids are, are, are experiencing hunger, uh, is it... Um, is it not enough jobs? Is it not good paying wages? Is it, um, what kind of goes into that? I think in Hawaii, um, it's really the high cost of living. Uh, things are very expensive in Hawaii because as an island state, we often have to ship um, our goods into Hawaii, making it more expensive than um, on the mainland U.S. Uh, so I think that contributes to to food insecurity. It is really the high cost of living, the high cost of homes here in Hawaii. Um, those economic issues really affect um, the the situation for food insecurity. And I'm sure those are issues that uh, your administration and your, your husband, the governor, are working on diligently as well. Yes. Um, my husband, David, has been working on really trying to get um, the kind of jobs we want here in Hawaii where we don't have um, our younger kids leaving the state of Hawaii to find better jobs elsewhere. We want the jobs to be quality jobs here, well-paying jobs, so families can have a strong start um, in their livelihoods here. So um, good-paying jobs is really one of his, his major priorities. 
Uh, Bernadette, let me turn this over to you. It's it's really uh, great to be here because I think I've I've been privileged to see, you know, Mrs. Ega, your work from the very beginning, um, working alongside of us on school breakfast initiatives, and now even out of school time um, programs, in particular programs that will feed children in the summer months or you know, after school. Um, you know, I, I wonder if you could just take us back a little bit to some of those programs and maybe share uh, with Billy and, and others, um, you know, some of those programs that you've helped to launch and you've led on in the state. And, and I always am amazed at how the unique challenges you you just shared one of those challenges, but um, what one of those all the different unique challenges being in Hawaii brings to the child nutrition programs that you are working to overcome with your teams. So, you know, uh, Bernadette, you brought up a really great point about our, our breakfast program, our Jumpstart Breakfast program that we launched here in Hawaii. And I have to thank No Kid Hungry for that because it really began with a team of us going up to Chicago to a No Kid Hungry conference uh, where we could hear from other states, other experts uh, in the industry, and then you gave us time to develop a plan with your guidance and expertise. So that was really the start of, of some of the work here with No Kid Hungry. And that was such a valuable time for, for our team. From that moment, we decided to focus on breakfast because unfortunately, Hawaii, we saw um, with some of the statistics that breakfast participation in our schools were it was very low. In fact, we were the lowest and sometimes the second to the lowest um, state in the country uh, with breakfast participation among the free and reduced lunch children. And we thought that was such a missed opportunity for our families. So we wanted to really look for ways to help increase um, their participation and interest in breakfast. So we developed this program called Jumpstart Breakfast, and um, it incorporated many different things to help promote the uh, value and importance of breakfast. And, you know, my mom used to always say, eat your breakfast. It's the most important meal of the day. And, you know, that statement to me today has so much meaning because if you have breakfast, you go to school um, ready to learn, you feel good, you are um you can just take learning to the next level. But if you don't have breakfast, that presents different challenges. So we wanted kids to, to really have to eat breakfast. And it was uh, we had to find out why they weren't eating breakfast. We found out they weren't coming to school on time. They were just rushing to school or they didn't like the breakfast. So we looked at different models and uh, some of the models we've learned from No Kid Hungry. It was, um, I can tell you three things that we did. We did grab and go where um, breakfast was packaged in a sack and kids could just take the breakfast and um, take it to their classroom, take it to the playground or wherever they chose to eat their breakfast. And we we did that in one complex area for our state and that seemed to be very successful. It also really helped during the pandemic because that model was in place for us to, gra to do grab and go statewide. Another um, program we did was breakfast in the classroom, but we did it with one school. Uh, it was Honowai Elementary School and we provided free breakfast based on a grant for kindergarten and first graders with the caveat that they had to serve, they had to do breakfast in the classroom because we wanted to see how this model worked. And it worked out so well 
that um, the kids enjoyed breakfast in the classroom. The community kind of came to help out to collect rubbish and help support the program. And what we also found was um, the grade levels who are not participating in this um, program also participated more in breakfast. They just came out more and uh, we saw breakfast participation in the entire school increase. So that that proved to us that that model really worked and it was um, something that the school uh, truly benefited from. And the third thing we did was change up our menu a bit. Um, some of the kids said that they didn't like what was being served in school in the um, on the menu. So one of the products that the uh, school food services came up with was called Upkalo Bowl. And this is like a yogurt parfait. It has yogurt, granola, kalo, or taro. So it's like a poi um, uh, that they would put onto this, this parfait. And the kids just loved it. It was, uh, we had a local flavor to it. Uh, but it had all the <clears throat> all the nutrition uh, that the school required, and it was something that they enjoyed. So some of those areas really just help us to get breakfast going. But then the pandemic hit, so we've had to pivot and change um, our focus right after that. And, and how did how did you deal with the pandemic? What changed? Every, everything changed. It was, um, you know, we were so excited about how this was all going. And then the schools had to shut down, of course. The children weren't in schools. So we had to do a, a major shift in, in that and in how we look at food distribution. You know, no longer were kids in the classroom. So we had to, we took that grab and go um, model and did that for all the meals. Uh, breakfast and lunch for the students. So they would, they had the opportunity to come to school to pick up a meal and take it home. But that in itself presented a different problem because, you know, it was hard for some families to just go to the school just to pick up a meal, or they simply didn't know that meals were being served at the school. Uh, So we, we pivoted and turned our efforts into a more informational campaign, letting families know that there was free breakfast and lunch that they could pick up, but they could pick it up at the schools. And then the the parameters changed a little. They didn't have to go to their particular school. They could pick up a meal at, um, I believe at any school at that time, any nearby school. So it's, it's just taking it to a more informational level I'm sure the cafeteria people had to change up their operations quite a bit. So that was a challenge. But, you know, I'm just so proud of how everybody worked together to make the changes so kids could have access to meals. There must have been school service folks in the schools who were just absolutely heroic during this time. When you think about everybody having to change on a dime and learn all these new ways to get food to kids when the kids aren't coming to the food. It's, uh, I mean, we've seen this in place after place, but um, it sounds like you had also created uh, at least the ethic and the awareness that people knew that these kids needed that. And that was probably a motivator for them. You know, I, I just want to echo you on the, the heroic efforts of um, so many people in our state. And, you know, we, 
you know, the kids, every child has a meal, school meal in the, when they go to school, the meals are there available. It's warm, it's hot, it's ready for them. And we really have to thank our school managers, our school cafeteria workers. They're really unsung heroes that really do so much for our children and so much for um, for food security and helping assure kids get that healthy meal every day. You know, just one other thing I wanted to ask before we go back to, to Bernadette, uh, Mrs. Ige, which was um, when Bernadette referenced the unique challenges that uh, you face dealing with these issues. And I'm interested in whether one of those, uh, especially in a place like Hawaii, has been just awareness. We're, we're like when, when you started doing this work, we're, how, how much of your energy had to be focused on helping people become aware that this was a problem even in the first place? You know, there's so many parts of uh, America we have found where People just don't, they're not aware that there's hunger and there's not aware that they're not aware that there are hungry kids in school. So sometimes you have to first kind of come over that hurt, overcome that hurdle of disbelief. Was that it? Was that an issue at all for you? You know, I think um, awareness on all levels is so important, but um, Hawaii is also a, a small community in a, in a small geographic area. So when the community finds out that there's a need, a problem, they all do their part in helping to uh, resolve the problem. So what I saw during the pandemic was there was a need for food and to provide food to families. So I saw so many nonprofits, faith-based organizations, um, government entities, they all worked together to, um, to help do what they could during the pandemic. It was just quite amazing to watch. Uh, no one had to be really asked to do things. They just figured out how to do it, um, and they did it. So there were many, you know, food bank type operations uh, on the island of Oahu and throughout the state where people could have access to food. But of course, you know, there's never, there's always a need out there. So uh, the need continues and, and the awareness need to continue. All of this is making me think the First Lady's leadership in the state is, is evident here. And I think what's exciting and, and um, another great part of her leadership role has been how she's led her peers on a national scale as well on these issues. Um, I know, uh, Don, that one of the things that you did while the pandemic was um, first setting out was helping to advocate Congress um, with your fellow spouses and partners um, to make sure that kids had the flexibilities they needed to, to get these programs to operate uh, in states across the country and that you continue to lead your peers as um, in part of the NGA, the National Governors Association uh, Spouses Program. So I wasn't sure if you wanted to, to connect how some of this work that you've been doing in the state has also um, related to the, the national voice that you have through the NGA and uh, the role of spouses and partners across the country. Um, yes, Bernadette, and thank you for your support in that area. During the pandemic, um, the National Governors Association was still active virtually. So during that, that year, I served as chair of the Spouses Leadership Committee. And as chair of the Spouses Leadership Committee, I had an opportunity to showcase and bring attention to 
issues that were important to me. And one of those issues was food insecurity. So we had a chance to do some uh, a convening um, with Bernadette joined us on one where we t- did talk about food insecurity um, to other first spouses uh, across the country. And I thought that was really important in hearing what they've done. Uh, I know the First Lady of Wyoming was on your show and she also shared what they did uh, in their state. As far as uh, looking at Congress and the kind of things that we hope for Congress to do is to really um, look at some of the waivers and to um, continue the waivers that were um, that were given in during the COVID pandemic to continue on um, in the next school year. For example, one of the waivers that we're seeking is for the summer food program to continue in the way it did during the pandemic, where um, children can pick up their meals and leave and not be uh, not having to eat their meals at the location because really the, that allows us to that allows more flexibility in the program and more participation. I sure hope Congress is listening right now, Mrs. Ige, because what you said is just so important in this particular moment um, and we've got to see that extended or we're going to go backwards. I mean it would just it would just be how tragic would it be to know that these, flexibilities and these waivers work uh, and to take them away once we've seen how effective they are. You know, we um, we took advantage of one of those waivers and we saw the, the need and success uh, of that kind of, if this waiver was allowed to continue. So one of the programs that um, I advocated for, and we had all the non- many nonprofits implementing this, uh, it's called our Cow Cow for Keiki program. And this is a summer program where um, instead of normally uh, in a summer food program, a child needs to come to a certain location, pick up a single meal, have the meal at the location, and then they, they can leave. But with the waivers, it allowed, um, the waivers allow us to do more creative things, especially in the more rural areas. So in this Cow Cow for Keiki program, instead of a one-time meal, we put together boxes, uh, a meal box. So it's ingredients, seven days of ingredients for breakfast and lunch in a single box. So a child or their family could just come one time to the location, once a week only, take that box home and have ingredients for a child's breakfast and lunch for seven days. And that makes a huge difference for access, especially in the rural areas. And that proved to be to be quite successful. Can I just say you not only have great programs, but you have great names for programs. Cow Cow for <laughs> Kiki. No, who, you have the best names of anybody in the country. <laughs> cow Cow means um, foo, uh, food. So it's food for Keiki. That was, and, and one of our, our people, you know, we, I partner with so many people. So I have to say, uh, I even partner with our county programs. In fact, they did the implementation for this Cow Cow for Keiki program. And one of our partners in the, on the Honolulu staff um, came up with that name. And I thought it was such a perfect name for um for Fantastic. our food program. Well, you know, we've been talking about uh, Congress a little bit and, and what they need to do. Uh, and one thing I want to know your opinion on is um, this is really not a political issue or a partisan issue. We, we all deal with lots of political and partisan issues, but it seems like 
childhood hunger is one that either isn't or, or shouldn't be. Have, have you found that to be the case? Um, absolutely. I don't think um, it is a political issue at all. It's, you know, I have to say that for the uh, National Governor's Spouses uh, Program, uh, it, it's a nonpartisan program where we all come together, no matter which party we're in, to address different issues that are important. Uh, and many of them are family, children, and social issues. And I'm so proud of the fact that we focus on the issue itself rather than the politics of it. And I think, you know, there's, we found so much success if we approach things that way. If we look at the importance uh, of making the change and providing the change so others can um, be, be, others can benefit and be served by it. And those are, are the people so much in need. You know, if we can just reach out across the aisle, I think we'd be so much farther ahead. First of all, I think the first lady is a little humble uh, because I've seen the way that she can um, communicate about these issues. And I think what she's uh, underselling about herself is her ability to bring together lots of different types of groups and all of the different um, community members who are needed, as she described, you know, the, the folks who have to stand up and the community that comes together. Um, but I think, you know, it's important for, for folks to understand about uh, the role that she plays both in the in the state as well as across the country. So I think she's underselling herself a little bit here um, because I know that, you know, whether it's using the governor's mansion for strategic purposes, which is just really exciting, you know, being able to bring community members to a beautiful location to, to talk about the challenges in front of them and come up with a plan. Um, that is something that is really unique. And I know that, uh, you know, Don, you've been able to, to, to use that to great effect, but importantly, to make sure that people are not losing sight of the important goals that um, you all have set for the state. Bernadette, thank you for those kind words. But, you know, I have to say that in Hawaii, uh, we I work with just wonderful people here. And uh, there's so many organizations and individuals. They are just, they're doing all the work in this. And, um, you know, when they find an issue that really needs to be addressed, people here in Hawaii put 100% into it. So for me, it, it's just uh, an honor and a privilege to be able to be in this position to help in any way that I can um, to assure that children are fed and we can reduce food insecurity in Hawaii. And Mrs. Ige, your, your, your spouse, the governor, is so good on these issues, but I'm assuming uh, you don't really give them any choice, right? <laughs> There's some certain things that are important to my wife that I have absolutely no choice in the matter. And I'm assuming that's the case here. You know, I think for him, it's not a choice. He also believes the same thing that uh, we all do in, in reducing childhood hunger. So for him, it's, uh, you know, it is something that he also believes in that we need to uh, just have children who are very healthy, productive, and successful in their in the, in the ways that they choose to be successful. Well, I, I know he does. And let me ask you as we as we wrap up um, for folks who are listening in Hawaii in particular, but anywhere else, um, how can, how can people be involved? How can they support your efforts? How can they support the local? You mentioned the nonprofit organizations, the faith based organizations. Uh, what's the best way for people to 
to really pitch in and help on this? You know, that's um, there's so many places to call. Um, certainly they can call the governor's office and we can refer them to uh, the appropriate organizations uh, to help. We have uh, a system here called 211 that can answer many questions about which organizations are involved in hunger, childhood hunger. So they can call uh, that number as well, that program as well. But, you know, they can, um, we'd be happy to take in their calls and uh, refer them to the appropriate places. Well, uh, on, on behalf of Bernadette and myself, I want to thank you again for the work you're doing. We've just found time after time after time that when uh, state and local leaders uh First ladies, governors, mayors, school superintendents, school principals, you know, this is where these programs are, are, are made or broken, right? So Congress passes laws, but, uh, you know, you implement them and you either see to it that the folks that they're designed for access them or they don't. So it's such a, a vital role, you know, the execution side of policy is is in your hands and you've taken it and run with it. And it's just not only made a tremendous difference in Hawaii, but it's really been an example uh, to so many others around the country. So, uh, Ms. Ige, th thanks not only for what you're doing there, but for going to the conferences, for sharing best practices, for using your voice uh, for, for kids uh, whose voices often don't get heard. Uh, it's really been an honor to have you on our podcast. Thank you so much. It has been a pleasure. And I just want to thank No Kid Hungry, Bernadette, your team, uh, for all the, the work you've done with Hawaii. It has made a difference and we deeply appreciate it. Well, thanks. Uh, Bernadette Downey and I have been talking with the First Lady of Hawaii, Don Amano Ige. Please visit adpassionandstir.com. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Share Ad Passion and Stir with a friend and rate the show so that others can find it. Ad Passion and Stir is produced by Paul Woody Whittle's team at District Productive and Johanna Weber of Pop and Awe with support from our team at Share Our Strength in the No Kid Hungry campaign. They include Debbie Shore, Pamela Taylor, Megan Cantrell, and Kelly Griffin. We'll be back in two weeks with more stories of individuals sharing their strength to make a difference in the world. Until then, thanks so much for listening.